0: Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the Future of Work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine-to-five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Welcome to Season 2 of Job Sharing and Beyond. I look forward to introducing more global pioneers and changemakers to you. So you, as a business and HR leader, can use the information to recruit and retain the best talent for your organization. And for you, as a current or soon back to paid work professional, our goal is to share best practice solutions to provide you with ideas for a better work-life balance. And now, without further ado, let me introduce our guest to you. Ali Caravella is a mom of two, leadership coach, and human capital consultant dedicated to helping organizations support, engage and retain women and caregivers in the workforce. As a former head of HR and management consultant, Ali is keenly aware of the power of successful people strategies as well as the immense deficits organizations face without them. She is a certified change management professional and helps organizations and individuals adapt, transform, and thrive during today's unprecedented times. Ali received her degree in mathematics from Vanderbilt University and uses an analytical and fact-based approach to solve business and people challenges.
1: Hello, Ali. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Ali, for people listening
0: to us from all over the world, could you just tell them a little bit where you're calling in from?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I live in Stamford, Connecticut in the United States, which is just about 45 minutes north of New York City.
0: Thank you so much. Is there anything that if somebody were to visit that, you know, food-wise or site-wise they should be looking at?
1: Oh, I love that question. Um two easy answers. So one, um, Stanford is actually a decent sized city. So there's great things to do in the city, but also the beach. Um, So I personally live close to the beach and would recommend checking that out. And um, we are known for some different pizza places around Mm. here. So there's a lot of competition of which is the best pizza place. (laughs) That sounds very tasty. (laughs) Thank you. Sure. (laughs) So
0: now our listeners just heard an overview of your bio. Can you share some insights about your current position and and how you got there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So currently I'm a partner at Work360, which is a culture consultancy that helps partner with HR leaders and other business leaders that want to build or transform a culture that cares in their workplace. Um, And the journey of how I got there has been an exciting one, I think. Um, The first half of my career I spent in of traditional consulting in the human capital space. And then the second half of my career, I took an internal role within my consulting company to actually start focusing on HR-related roles and topics over the years. So it was kind of everything from talent development to org effectiveness, um, a lot of work with leadership and change management, and ended up becoming the global head of HR for an organization. And then after I kind of reached that point in my career. I took another HR leadership role and that then COVID hit, right? So I was the HR leader for a group that was focused on running very large scale events. And obviously with the disruption from COVID, those events could not happen anymore. There were some significant layoffs and furloughs and employee actions that needed to happen to keep that business thriving, um, which was a huge piece of my job at that point in time. And going through that work as someone who kind of fell into HR by passion and interest, but not because I grew up as a practitioner, um, it was really soul altering work um, that you know i think would be difficult for frankly anybody to do but in that process it really helped me reflect inwards on what are my unique skills and gifts that i have that i can share with this world and how can i spend my time and spend my professional career So I'm using those skills and doing something that helps other people, but also makes me feel kind of intrinsically happy and and more satisfied with my life. Um, So with all of that reflection, I ended up leaving the corporate world just in the end of July of 2020 and decided to go out on my own. And in that process of kind of establishing what I wanted my business to be and what I wanted to focus on, I ended up meeting Mary Beth Ferrante, who's the founder of Work360. And one quick conversation turned into 10, which turned into 20, and we decided to become partners. And here I am now. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, I'm
0: very appreciative, you know, that you are where you are today because I love research And, um, you know, doing research about you, uh, you've created this amazing white paper based on the largest survey to date of the impact of COVID-19 on working mothers. And um, the part, um, you know, of your parting words of that paper were, this research process left me feeling certain that we are experiencing the single largest personal and professional transformation in our lifetime. And so could you share with our listeners more about that research?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So, you know, really, when I left corporate America in the end of July of last year, I knew that. I wanted to create a business, focus on kind of my consulting and coaching background along with the HR expertise, but build a foundation in data and really create a catalyst for conversation. And that's what made me do the study in the first place. I I can say at this point, it is certainly not the largest study to date, but at that point in time, I believe that it was um, because as we know, we're kind of bombarded with headlines every single day about the impacts this pandemic has had on women in the workplace. But really what I wanted to do was as quickly as possible, really leverage the fact that I was no longer working in a large organization that takes many people and many meetings and many months to kind of move through this type of process and just very quickly, very efficiently Ask some questions. So I put a survey together. I got about 550 women in 48 hours to fill it out across the country and tons wow. of different industries and backgrounds. And interestingly, you know, I studied mathematics in college and I am a data geek, tried and true. Um, so every 50 responses, every 100 responses that came in, I reviewed the data and I wanted to see what were the trends, how was the information changing. And the interesting thing was that whether I had 100 responses, 200, 250, 350, 500, the actual statistical responses were remaining exactly the same. So I had originally actually wanted to get a few thousand responses, but once I got over that 550 number, I realized that it was not actually necessary and that there was more benefit in publishing the results quickly than mm-hmm. it would be to kind of hang around for a couple of weeks to collect more responses that were going to inevitably say the same things. And at the end of the day, what was so fascinating to me was kind of across industries, across backgrounds, across income levels you were seeing very consistent themes around the burnout, around the number of women considering leaving or downshifting their career or leaving the workforce completely, and the amount of burden and responsibility specifically on women kind of managing everything that was going on career-wise, but also with their families and caregiving duties, it was just, it was pretty unbelievable to see in the numbers. And um, frankly, I just used that as a way to kind of document that. It's what I sort of knew in my mind and in my heart going into it, but I liked having the hard data with me. So then once published, it's a really great catalyst for some interesting conversation, right? With other people trying to help solve the problem like yourself in a variety of ways or with heads of HR corporations that are trying to understand more of the problem and then really try to figure out what they can do about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's so important to have data because, you know, I love research as well. And I feel there is still such a lack of data in general, for anything related to like unpaid care work to, you know, more gender specific, um, you know, data. And um, so like last week I was at Hacking HR and um, the, the conference. And so I was talking with HR professionals there about their biggest concerns. And not surprisingly, really, they're talking about recruiting and retaining talent. And so then I, you know, saw your video with professionals a few months ago, and you had asked them to, you know, mention one thing that companies could do to retain women in particular. So could you share more with our listeners what that was all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just in terms of that video project to take a step back, after I had done that initial research with the survey and collected Mm -hmm. all of that hard data, I published the white paper, but I had this feeling like I just knew there was a little bit more to dig into. right? I had the data, I knew kind of all of the core things that I wanted companies to be focusing on right now, But what was missing to me was the storytelling and the authenticity behind the data, the real heart and soul behind it. Mm -hmm. And so what I did next was I interviewed about 18 women, all working mothers this time around the, the country, again, different industries, different roles, different backgrounds. And I asked them all the same eight questions. And then I put together this series called Real Women, Real Stories eight different videos, each addressing one of the eight questions. So you could hear from all of these different women, kind of what they were going through, what type of advice they had for each other, for managers, and for companies right now. Um, And one of those videos, to your point, was specifically around how we can retain women in the workplace, given everything that's going on. Um, And, you know, interestingly, if if you hear all of the different women's responses, the overarching theme you will hear from all of them is flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. (laughs) Um, You know, I actually have the words kind of popping up on the screen and I had to specifically change the order around so it would at least (laughs) seem a little bit (laughs) new and interesting because it was so wildly consistent. Um, But really the first, flexibility, right? Of actually having organizations have flexibility as a critical pillar in their organization, which by definition is not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? right? So some companies right now are thinking about this, like, okay, we're going to become more flexible. So we're going to have people come into the office three days a week, and they can work from home two days a week, which I think is a really great intention and an interesting place to potentially start the conversation. But by definition, that may be entirely unnecessary to the pe- some people who love being in the office and want to be there five days a week and incredibly unhelpful to people who maybe need to live in a different location or don't have the capacity or interest anymore to come in for even those three days. Yeah. So really just thinking about this is how do we be flexible, but flexible in a way that benefits employees and, of course, still achieving the company's goals, which is you know, a non-negotiable, but really trying to frame it around the customized needs of the employees. So that was the first, that was the first core thing. The second thing in terms of retaining women right now was all around kind of the softer skills that they wanted to see managers having. So some things that sometimes sound so basic, like just if they could only listen, really listen, like ask, how are you, but actually really want to know the answer, um, (laughs) empathize, um, and support people with whatever their unique challenges are, that was really the second core theme, and it got into our managers and helping companies realize they may need to assess if their managers actually have the tools to do this, and if not, we shouldn't judge them. We should actually just invest in them and help them acquire those tools because that wasn't necessarily required in the past in the same way that it's being required today. And then the third core theme was really just around policies and programs. So the women wanted to see companies actively assess the policies and programs they had in place to ensure that they could retain working parents and caregivers. And of course that can, people always think about having a maternity leave benefit or maybe reframing that as a parental leave, but there's so much more beyond just that, though that's critical um, for organizations to have someone or some group of people to actually be looking into that and having some level of accountability to have policies and programs in place to, to make that a successful environment for working parents.
0: I'm, I'm so appreciative of, you know, what you just said, like from the flexibility, it's so interesting. Um, I'm obviously a big believer in job sharing. And like at last week's HR conference, when I talked about job sharing, it was very apparent that very few people had ever heard about it. And I feel it is, especially in North America, still a completely undervalued um option and from a um employer's perspective at the end of the day their full-time position is being covered and from the uh, employees perspective they are able to have more of a work-life balance while also Yeah, now being able to continue with their career because together as a co-leading team, they can move up the ladder. So I don't know. Have you like encountered conversations about it or why do you think, say, job sharing is still so unknown?
1: It's, it's a great question. And I, I think I want to say first that I'm a huge fan of job sharing. I have actually seen it work firsthand in more mm-hmm. than one instance. Um, but I've also seen as an HR leader and a manager where challenges exist or could exist and why I think a lot of companies might feel some hesitation around it. So, you know, super high level, I think there could be more education around job sharing, right? So okay. to your point, It may be rare because a lot of people don't even know exactly what that means. You know, some people think that that means part time or just reduced schedules or having flexibility. Um, I'm not convinced that everybody really understands the depth of what job sharing really means and what the benefits are. Mm -hmm. And I also think that challenges exist because the truth is job sharing works better in some roles than others. And companies are worried about making sure that they have equitable opportunities and benefits across their organization. And while I think it works extremely well in many roles, it doesn't necessarily work for every single role. Um, And, you know, one of the other things that I've seen is that companies might be interested in this conceptually, but they recognize that they need a legitimate program in place because if you really think through job sharing, every single piece of the employee life cycle, whether it's hiring, onboarding, the actual collaboration, or managing performance, or when someone leaves by choice or not by choice, every single aspect of that employee life cycle is impacted. So companies really would need a playbook in order to roll out job sharing in any sort of a broad-based way. And I'm seeing more and more recruiting companies coming up that focus on job share placement, which I think is fantastic. But the piece that I think could encourage more movement and transformation within organizations is the programmatic work to help companies be prepared and set them up for success with that hypothetical playbook or the support that they would need on how every single impact every single aspect of that employee life cycle is impacted and how they should think about and address each of those things so they can really feel prepared and get themselves in this mindset shift of really focusing on all the benefits as opposed to all of the barriers.
0: Mm -hmm. But that's really good to hear from your perspective of both, you know, having been on both sides. And um, um, like SAP in Germany, they have every co-leadership know um, every management position is a potential co-leadership and they started off by running an initial pilot mm-hmm. to you know um you know presumably to cover or you know look at some of the aspects that you have just described yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's amazing. And you know, my overarching advice, which is a lesson I take for my father is to treat life like a laboratory. Mm-hmm. So the app, the opportunity to test something out and just try it and make a pilot. It's always better, especially for a large organization, because it feels like a more manageable commitment and investment. They don't have to say, this is guaranteed the right solution for every role, for every person in this company, but we can test it out really strategically and identify the pain points, but also the benefits, and then take it from there and adapt and refine. So you know, anytime an, op- anytime an organization can do something in an experimental format, I think that's helpful for the employees themselves and for the leaders. So it gives them a little bit of grace if things need to change or adapt along the way yeah
0: and you know um the four day week that um was you know implemented by Andrew Barnes and Charlotte Lockhart they also started off or they recommend to start off with a pilot to see how it goes um Andrew and Charlotte's view is like the worst case there is that they have a better understanding about productivity within certain you know aspects of their organization as a minimum, if for
1: whatever reason, it were not to, um, you know, work out. Absolutely. And the employees of that company have a higher level of trust that their leadership cares, right? And so much of what Mary Beth and I do in our company is help organizations create that culture of care. And so some of that means, just like if you're a parent, you're going to tell your kids that we're not going to always get it right, but we are going to consistently try and adapt and experiment because we do care. And and I think that a company can do that same thing. Interestingly, I was just reading an article about a, a company based in the U.S., but they were doing a five-hour workday um, and testing this out. And at first it was working really well. Then they had run into some hiccups and they've kind of constantly evolved it over the past couple of years and where they landed after some experimentation and not always the greatest success was, don't quote me on this, but I think it was something like, um, Beginning August 15th of the year, if they have achieved more revenue than the year prior, they would then have the five hour workday for the rest of the year or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, they, they basically found a way to do that for, you know, over, maybe even over a third of the year but still highly motivated people to get incredible business results. Once they have that level of certainty that the business results will remain where they need them to be, they can really invest in the well-being of their employees, still focus on business goals, but have a little bit more flexibility. I'm not saying that's the answer for every company. I just simply liked that example because they tried and adapted four different times and landed somewhere that works for them in their respective business.
0: Yeah, I I read that article as well. I thought it was really interesting. And um as I'm German in Germany, there is also an organization run by um Lasse Reinganz who also works in, on the um, 5 hour um you know daily um, basis and um he has written a book about it and it's it's very interesting how you know for example meetings got reduced and became much more efficient. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and my previous guest, Alex um, Su-Yang Kim-Peng, he actually wrote a book called Shorter. And in that book, he discusses the example you gave, the example I gave, and many other examples of um, four-day-week um, programs that companies have implemented around the world. So for anybody listening and who would like to learn more about it, I highly recommend that book, term.
1: I will definitely have to check that out.
0: Yeah. And now, you know, going back, you were talking about um, companies caring. We just had the International Women's Day. And in that, you know, time, people focus very much, how can we support women? to, you know, especially now also in the crisis and how can we go beyond um, the glass ceiling. My previous guest, Josh Levs, has said, until we give men equal opportunities at caregiving, we will not have equal opportunities for women in the workplace. And now what have you seen with regard to that?
1: It's a great question um, and I agree with Josh on that. I think unquestionably, I agree we need to get more, men more involved in the unpaid work that's typically falling on women if we want women to get the same opportunities as men in the paid workforce. And historically, if you think about in the feminist movement, at least I can speak for the United States, that you know more and more women were pushing and pushing to get equal opportunities at the workforce but in the paid workforce, but not giving up any of their other responsibilities at home, which is really an impossible task to (laughs) to give to anyone, even superpower women who are incredible at multitasking. Um, It's just not um, a realistic or reasonable situation. You know, for some organizations, I think offering parental leave is a good start. Um, You know, if you can do just one thing And I personally have firsthand experience with the difference with my husband, between the birth of our two daughters, the policy for parental leave changed at his organization. And so Mm -hmm. with our first daughter, he had two weeks, maybe it was one week or two weeks, I can't even remember. Um, And with our second daughter, it was two months. And, you know, with our first my daughter was born early and we had to go back to the hospital and I won't get into all of the details. Luckily she was totally fine, but we spent the better part of his leave in the hospital. And then on his last day, he basically went back to work after sleeping in a folding cot in the hospital room. Um, so I can tell you it was actually one week now that I remember it, because that's how the timing would go out. Um, and so I was there. You know, nervous, worried, full of anxiety with our new daughter in the hospital. He's going back to work with absolutely no sleep, um, wow. totally not ready for that. And there's a huge downstream impact from that, right? In terms of how that impacts women in the workforce and men. I think, you know, some of the things that I've seen in terms of best practice, even if we just think about the parental leave example, is one of my best friends used to work at McKinsey and. I remember when she was pregnant, one of the male partners who headed up the regional office sent this beautiful email to everyone in that region. And it basically said that his wife had just had a baby a few months ago. He took the parental leave that was offered by the company, which was a couple months, a few months, I can't remember exactly. And he talked in detail how much he learned from that how much he bonded with his child how much it impacted his appreciation of parenthood and 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 caregiving and all of these different things so I just love thinking about that example because, one, the company had the right policy in place. Two, people were actually taking it. And then almost most importantly, you had someone in a super senior level position really talk about that and lead by example, which then essentially gave permission for the other men to take that once it was their turn as well. Yeah. And, you know,
0: and you're so right I really believe we need to have many more particular male, um, you know, because they are still um, the majority of the senior business leaders to give, um, you know, to be a role model and to share, as you said, what they have learned, what transferable business skills and soft skills they have learned from unpaid care work. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and interestingly, we're talking to more organizations now about this than ever, that they are trying to figure out ways to insert that conversation into the workplace, so sometimes it's through if they have a working parents or caregivers employee resource group. Sometimes it's you know their diversity, equity, and inclusion team. It, it kind of varies in terms of where the the catalyst of the conversation begins, but oftentimes they're coming to us saying, "How do we create this conversation about unpaid work and caregiving to educate?" but also really help normalize talking about these things. Right. So both people who are currently employed don't have to feel fear or shame or guilt or any number of other emotions about their caregiving responsibilities and also help people who hope to be employed feel empowered to showcase these skills, which often are wildly transferable. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And I, I think if I had, a you know, besides job sharing, That is another aspect I feel that in the business world is completely undervalued and um, yeah, that the transferability and to me, maybe one of the silver linings of uh, the pandemic and so many in particular female professionals having to opt out is that maybe it becomes more normalized and it is more visible, the skill sets it require us to you know do that unpaid care work and that it is indeed work yeah
1: absolutely and i think every country is obviously different i one of the things that i did when i left corporate america was take a class because i wanted to just find some time to educate myself because I had Mm -hmm. been working, you know, 80 hours a week and raising two young children, and I really hadn't carved out time for my own learning and development in quite a while. So I took this class, um, an online course from Stanford University, and it was all about the challenges related to motherhood and work, and it was extremely beneficial. And I got more data from that class than I could have ever hoped and dreamt of all around unpaid work and kind of quantifying it and understanding the differences between countries. And at the end of the day, you know, luckily we've got more people than ever, um, I think globally, but I know specifically in the U.S. advocating for changes that will help make this stuff better. Um, But also in the meantime, helping normalize the situation of this is where we're at as a country. And This is what infrastructure we have in place and what the gaps are. And then acknowledging that with these gaps and with many dual working households, someone has to care for the children, right? Or someone has to care for that elderly person in the family. So oftentimes, statistically speaking, that ends up being a woman, but kind of regardless of who it is, without a broader care infrastructure in place within your country, you have to do it. And I think we can agree as a culture that this is an important thing to raise children or take care of our elders. Um, so, just having a little more empathy and more support, and it all goes back to that flexibility, knowing really just kind of believing in people's intentions and saying, you know, I want to work at this organization and do a fantastic job. At the same time, I want to make sure that my children are mentally and emotionally stable, are doing okay with their school, are kind of managing through this disruption. And I'm going to just do my best managing all of that, knowing that it may look and feel a little bit different than it did in the past, given the level of disruption right now.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm looking at things positively. I'm always optimistic and I see there to be a lot of positive change coming out of the current situation. What are your views, say, looking forward to five or 10 years and, you know, the emphasis becoming more and more on lifelong learning and reskilling and upskilling um, the labor force, you know, where do you think we will be
1: in five or 10 years It's a great question. I'm, you know, one positive piece of this, and I agree with you on the silver linings. um, But one great thing is that we have more available online than we have ever had before. So, um, what I think we could really benefit from, which I'm seeing more and more of now, is a framework to help people who have taken a break from the paid workforce of how they should even be thinking about their kind of continuous reskilling and upskilling throughout the time that they aren't in the paid workforce. Um, So I think there's a huge amount of opportunity there. And you can be taking courses online now for $5 or $10 that historically would have cost $2,000 to attend. Um, So that's a game changer. I also think even more exciting to me personally There are some really incredible companies out there that I'm learning about more every day that are specifically in existence to help organizations keep in touch with parents or caregivers who are on leave or had to take a break from the workforce. So they basically create these um, platforms, if you will, or frameworks that they can actually keep that group of people active to some to some respect and help upskill them throughout that time so that if and when they do want to rejoin the paid workforce, they have the support to do that. And that's not something that I saw two years ago. Um, and so my hope is that as companies see this, frankly, even just as an opportunity, one, to do the right thing, but two, to help them fix their leaky talent pipeline they can rely on companies like this who can help keep that group of individuals who left the workforce stay engaged and stay skilled and stay, you know, kind of relevant in their job search so that if and when they want to come back, they they feel connected. They don't feel scared. They've got the resources and tools and support to do that, which I think is absolutely incredible. Yeah,
0: I, I'm... Yeah, as you said, I feel very positive. And as you said, through my research and the podcast, you know, being able to talk to people like Tina Bruno with Parent Smart in Sweden, you know, who put together the, um, you know, aspect of what transferable skills there are from parenthood and, you know, people in Germany. um, Yeah, I think there is just so much, that is changing so i'm i'm super positive about it as well
1: yeah yeah me too and i think just when i think about the silver linings from the pandemic in general you know unquestionably we've got a level of tragedy and challenge that i've certainly never experienced in my lifetime but i've also seen more transformation in a positive way than i could have ever imagined could happen in 12 months so you know, just even on a personal level, the, the focus uh, on the importance of deep, meaningful relationships for people to really understand and appreciate how that can impact their life is to me, just, it doesn't get much better than that. And I think we've all kind of been forced to learn how to better care for each other and ourselves, Inevitably, people have had more time with their family, uh, at least their kind of nuclear family locally. Right. Um, and some have benefited from being more active or getting more time outdoors because they haven't been able to do other things. So they, you know, where I live, I see a thousand people a day out on a walk around the neighborhood. Everybody's saying good morning to each other. And there's also a lot of people, myself included, who spent some really hard time reflecting on career and core values and making some pretty significant changes to align values with action. And anytime that happens, I think that has an extremely positive domino effect on the whole universe and and all the people impacted around. Yeah,
0: I I completely agree. It really is, you know, that here, as you said, that reflection and, you know, the core values. I think it really forced people to think more about it than maybe in any time in the you know in the past decades. So um, now um, I would love to continue talking with you forever, but we're coming towards an end. So I just want to make sure is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners
1: that we did not cover today? Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, You know, what I would say is that one of the most interesting pieces of the work that Mary Beth and I have been doing in terms of these conversations with leaders across industries and across companies of very different sizes, I've seen a consistent theme where there's leaders who have wildly good intentions and are sometimes actually desperate to do something to help their people. But there's still this theme that we're seeing, which is a lack of courage to just take a leap and innovate and to try something new. And if there's one thing I would share, it would be to just be brave and be courageous and try because to our earlier conversation, you will get a lot of benefit just from trying and having that authentic investment and genuine attempt for your people. And if you treat this like a laboratory and you can be risk averse and do it in a pilot fashion, whatever it is that you're going to do, you can protect your business while really trying new and innovative ways to support your people. Um, and even just trying will go a long way. And, and for the leaders who have kind of broken through and find it and found that courage, It's an unbelievable weight off their shoulders that we see because, you know, HR leaders, the last 12 months, it has been crushing in in terms of what they've had to deal with. So um, it's sort of selflessly for the employees and selfishly for those HR leaders. I, I think everybody deserves to be feeling better right now. And I just encourage people to be brave and find that courage and just try something Even if you don't commit to it for a super long term, just try and see how it goes. Thank you very much. Now, how can people reach you, Allie? Sure. So you can always go to our website, which is work 360 sixty W R K. 360com or email me at Allie at work360.com. We're also super active on LinkedIn. So uh, my last name is Caravella. So I encourage anyone who's interested in really just talking about their culture, maybe things that they've tried and haven't gone the way that they hoped or learning about new and different ways that they could really think about the entire cycle of having a healthy positive care culture in the workplace please feel free to reach out to myself or Mary Beth because uh we truly love what we do and so we are happy to have these conversations on a daily basis thank you so much it was such a pleasure having you a guest as a guest on my show thank you
0: my pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to the show We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.